2022. 2022. We thought 2020 was bizarre, but 2021 has proven to be a formidable force with which to be reckoned. What will 2022 bring? Do you do New Year's resolutions? I don't even remember what mine were from this year, but, and it was such a blur anyway, but I've got new ideas for next year. And while I'm taking some time to rest and recharge over the holidays, I thought it was a perfect time to re-release my conversation with the great Jesse Itzler. Yes, Jesse Itzler, who is the king of goals, stretching yourself and keeping your priorities in order. This one threw me for a loop and uh, I'm not really a crier, but ended up really getting choked up in this one. I have had people reach out and say they are forever changed after listening to this conversation with Jesse. So I am sure you're going to get a lot out of it. I've got a lot of news to share with you. So make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast and make entirely sure you get on my email list by leaving your email at allisonhair.com. You don't want to miss what's coming. Thank you so much for listening this year, and I hope to keep growing with you next year. Happy New Year. I feel like I'm unusually invested in your life, (laughs) and I probably shouldn't be. You know, like maybe I've got better things to do, but in the same breath, I find that some of the things that you do, the way you live your life is in such a way that it's changing me. It's changing who I am. It's changing how I think in a better way. And I think the the gift that you bring is that you are almost like running a documentary of your life. You and your wife and your family are running this documentary, but you bring everybody with you. It's not like, look at what I can do. You bring people with you and that is your gift. So I thank you for that. Well, thank you. Well, now you're in my home, so you get to see everything firsthand. Yeah, it's amazing to be in your home because I feel like I've been here before, and that is a little bit creepy on my part, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I feel a little bit stalkery, but I probably found you maybe a little over a year ago, and it was really a year ago this time, and you were doing the last man standing race. Right. So my husband and I were in Denver, Colorado, and I'm watching, I'm glued to the stories. I should be glued to the vacation that I'm having with my husband, but I'm like, honey, you've got to see this man. He's out of his mind. He's running this race. So the last man standing is a race that literally is the last man standing. So the, so it, so explain it to me. Yeah. It's a 4.2 mile loop. You have an hour to complete it. And if you complete it prior to that, like in 50 minutes, you have a 10 minute rest because they line you up again at the top of the hour and they can, they repeat that process until only one person is left standing. So the race could go on for days. So the, the race that I was in, there were 115 runners. Yeah. I came in fifth. I was the oldest man standing <laughs> at the end of this thing. Weren't you like twice the age of some of the people that- Oh, definitely. Definitely. But it was, um, it was great. It was I've never done that kind of race format before, so yeah. it's a whole different strategy and approach and training, and I didn't really know what to expect. And also, there's only one winner. There's not like it's not like I finished the New York Marathon, no one cares what place I came in. Like I came in 32,000th place of the New York Marathon. <laughs> Who cares? I finished. And I this thing, this race is either you win or you lose. So, and only one person wins, 114 people lost. 
Amazing. But I think what was interesting is my husband and I are completely dialed into you. We didn't really know your, your thing or, you know, we understood you were a serial entrepreneur and had done this, you know, all this incredible work. And then at first I was like, this guy is crazy. I would never do this. And by the end of it, you see your grit. You see the, the kind of preparation that goes into it. You see the camaraderie, the support of people that have flown in from all over the place, not only to support you, but support the other runners. But you also see that you're losing your toenails, you're losing your eyesight, you're running through the night, grueling, and just going for it. And just you're repeating to yourself over and over, constant forward motion, constant forward motion. I think that was your mantra. And by the end of it, I signed up for Build Your Life Resume. And I was like, I've got to get in on this because (laughs) I'm missing something. I think that you walk the talk. And to watch it unfold like that was really an amazing feat of human spirit. And everything changed from then on. So I Well, think I, I'm glad that you brought that up. The race was unbelievable. And I ended up doing, I don't remember exactly, 20 hours or 80-something miles. And um, it was a really challenging course. It was hilly. It was through the woods and dirt and mud. It was just, at it nighttime. Was at night. It was, it was hot. It was cold. It was really challenging. And I trained in Atlanta. There really weren't much hill, many hills or much elevation gain. So this coming into this, it was, it was hard. But, um, you know, you talk about grit and it brings out all these different factors. And, uh, I was just taking a swim lesson the other day. I signed up for another race called the Ultraman. And it, in that race is a 6.2 mile open water swim, 6.4 mile open water swim. I, I can barely swim. So I hired a swim coach and, um, independent of that, I had posted it and this gal named, um, Katie Hoff, who was an Olympic swimmer, reached out to me for some business advice and we ended up bartering a swim lesson. She's a two-time Olympian, world record holder, American record holder for business advice. So I got the better of the trade because she gives much better swim lessons than I give business (laughs) advice. But anyway, when she came to my house, she said something that really struck, you know, stuck with me. And she was going through my stroke and she was telling me like when you want to pull as much water as you can when when you're coming down through the water on your stroke. And then she said, and it was like a throwaway line. She's like, you know, if your hand's in the water and you're stroking and you're not pulling as much water as you can, what's the purpose? Like why even do the stroke? And for her, it she didn't even, it was just like one of five hours of conversation, but it like really hit home. And what resonated with me on that and why I'm bringing it up as it relates to the race is if you're going to be in a race or you're going to go to an opera with your husband or wife or you're going to start a business or you're going to give a podcast with Allison Hare and you're going to be there, if you're going to be there, get everything you can out of it. Like what's the point if you're not going to be 110% committed to it? Don't show up. Don't do it. So if I'm, if I'm going to do 11,000 strokes, I don't even know, maybe more, I'll probably do, let's see, I don't know, let me figure this out real quick. <laughs> so if it's 10,000 meters, I'll do, 10, what's 10,000 times 25, 250,000 yeah. strokes, 200 and a quarter of a million strokes. Is that right? Hold on, Allison. Every twenty-five meters. <laughs> I am every, not the person. Every to be twenty-five meters. Every twenty-five meters is twenty-five strokes. Every hundred meters is a hundred strokes. So it's a shitload of strokes. Right. I'm going to figure this out. When we, I'm brain dead <laughs> right now. 
And usually I'm good at that kind of math. But the point is, if you're going to do that many strokes, make every one of them count. Otherwise, don't even waste your time. And that's what that race was about. And it's no different than any of the pursuits that I've had in my life. It's no different than today's bike ride with my wife. If I'm going to go out there for two or three hours, I want to get something out of it. And, you know, every run I take, every podcast that I do, every time I'm with my kids, everything, what Katie Hoff said is really the underlining theme. If you're going to do it, either get something out of it or don't do it. And that's sort of what you watched at the race. You know, I could have easily been like, that was enough. But I didn't go there to be like, that was enough. I went there to go till I just couldn't, till I timed out of the loop. I couldn't complete the loop in time. But that's the mindset thing that is specific to you. Because when I think about, like, I'm not very athletic. And I started to do CrossFit many years ago. And I did not care about PRing, about getting my personal record. I just wanted to get finished. And for me, as somebody that's not really that athletic, that was enough. And I don't know if I let myself off the hook or I should have pushed myself. And I wonder from your mindset perspective of, you know, you, you talk a lot about why would you want to be the 80% version of yourself? And you've built this whole concept into your 30 days of excellence business that you just launched or this, this program. And I'm wondering, how do you go that extra mile when you're tired and have a ton of stuff on your plate? Well, when it comes to working out, I think it's about programming and how you approach it even before. I think there's a program in your head before you start a workout or a business. And then there's, there has to be a little bit of a shift during but again, I feel like if I, I, I go to like a, in a workout scenario, I like to say like, if I'm going to be doing this for three hours, I program my head for three hours and I'm like, in three hours and one minute, I could be on my couch. But for these three hours, this is my job. And I'm, I try to really lock into it. Again, same thing. Get as much out of it as you can. Um, and then during the workout, when I'm tired, or I want to quit or something like that. I remind myself that like, this is the commitment I made. I made a three, a three hour commitment. And, you know, of course it doesn't always work, but, um, it usually gets me through it. Like I'm, and I'm experienced. I've been, I'm battle tested in those scenarios. So, you know, I don't expect someone for the first time to be like, let's go run a hundred hills and get to 50 and be able to necessarily push through it. Mm -hmm. But if they do go to 55, when they want to stop at 50, next time they can go to 60, 70, 80, a hundred. So, you know, through time, through conditioning. But um, I have a simple litmus test. And it's like, I got to be able to look at myself in the mirror at the end of anything and be like, was that an honest, my friends say it all the time. I wrote about it in my Living with the Monks book. Was that an honest effort? Like, and that the only one that can judge that is yourself. Did I give all that I could to that CrossFit session? Did I give all, all that I could to, in business, you know, I just wrote a book. And I wrote my first book, Living with a Seal. And the publisher said, you know, I had a deadline. And I handed the book in and they were, they were very excited about it, you know, and they were ready to go to print. And I, um, they're like, reread it one more time for any final changes. I had probably read the book 600 times, you know, in writing it. So I read it for the 601st time and really looking for periods, commas, et cetera, any typos. And, um, I called my publisher the next day. And I said, you got to give me one more week. She's like, one more week? It's done. Like everyone's approved it. The pages are on it. She's like, why? I'm like, I have to try to make this 20% better. And she was like, what are you talking about? 
And I'm like, this, I'm never going to write another book, probably. This is my only attempt. So if it's as good as it is right now, I have to make it 20% better. So I can look at myself and be like, I gave every bit of my soul to this book. And she let me do it. And I did. I spent a week, you know, adding a chapter and changing it and adding stories. How could I make it funnier? How could I make the transitions from chapter to chapter more interesting so people want to flip the page and continue to read? You know, so, you know, as an entrepreneur and you're in sales, you're in business, um, it's just constantly kind of challenging yourself, really, and not comparing yourself to, I never said, how many books did this person sell? I want to sell more. How many reviews did this person get? How many five stars? I never reviews did they get? I want to do more. It was always like, did I put every, my best effort into it and let the chips fall where they were? And that's what happened. That's a better litmus test. I think, you know, especially when you, they always say swim in your own lane. When you're checking yourself, it makes it a lot easier. That book, by the way, was freaking hilarious. Like I found myself laughing out loud you have a very interesting because writing of the, style. It's because of the extra 20%. It probably was because I, I was noting how you wove stories in of just, you know, Seal would say this and it reminded you of a story and you're such a great storyteller. That is kind of what is so good about it. And even for this interview is, I mean, I could take this interview in any direction and you've got a story for it and we could fill up the time, no problem. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> I'll go wherever you want to go, Allison. No, I love it. And, and one thing I, I'm interested to know, I mean, you are unconventional conventional is all hell, right? And you grew up in a, I'm assuming a traditional home. And I wonder what was that point where you could go the straight and narrow of what's expected of you, of cultural, societal expectations. And where was that pitchfork where you said, I'm going to go a different way? Well, my parents gave me a huge blank canvas and allow me to paint it however I wanted to paint it and go in any direction I wanted to go if I had enthusiasm or interest in it. And that took me in a lot of different lanes. My dad owned a plumbing supply house, so it wasn't like, I want you to be a lawyer or a doctor or we're going to work on Wall Street. He was like, you probably don't want to work in the plumbing industry. Um, go figure it, you know, go figure it out. And um, my parents raised me it was a traditional house, but my parents didn't really punish me. I just read an article that Will Smith doesn't, uh, I don't know if it was, doesn't, it wasn't the word yell, but doesn't, um, discipline, hmm. disciplines his children in a unique way. He doesn't really punish them. And my parents, and I was related to that because my, I never really got in trouble. I mean, my mom would, I had rules and boundaries and there were expectations and I lived up to those expectations and the rules of the house. But I never remember going in timeout. I never remember my mom, you know, like spanking me or really, you know, take threatening me. If you do, if you don't do this, you're not getting dessert. I didn't have any of that stuff growing up. I was, I had like they allow, they didn't overschedule me. They allowed me to be bored. If my mm -hmm. mom had a meeting, I went with her with a coloring book and like Lego, and I'd sit there for three hours, and I, and I didn't have a choice. And, um, and they encouraged me to try things. So that was my childhood. There's a lot of love. Um, my mom didn't fly. So we drove everywhere. If we wanted to go to Florida, it was like, we would take three days and drive to Florida. And it was just like, it wasn't handed out. It was, we had, we didn't have everything, but we had a lot. It wasn't on a silver platter and it was, but it wasn't like we had to work 
crazy hard for it. It was just part of our flow. I don't know, our family thing. So it was traditional in the sense of, you know, I wasn't surrounded by, that's that was my home environment, mm-hmm. but it was non-traditional, I think, in in the approach. There was a lot of freedom. My parents, like I was in breakdancing. I was into breakdancing. I was DJing. I was cleaning pools. I was selling chicken, meat, and shrimp door to door. And my parents don't even eat shrimp or shellfish or anything. <laughs> I was, you know, I had odd jobs and they were like, whatever. They never even like asked me about it. It was really interesting. And, and playing now, sports. And then how did you go the unconventional route? Have you ever heard of the book, The Third Door? No. There's a book called The Third Door. I can't remember. Alex ben- Benayan, I think, is is uh, the author's name. And it is highlighting all of these CEOs and that there's a front door and there's a back door. But the CEOs are the ones that always find there's always, always, always a third door. And this is another way in. And yeah. that's who you are. I mean, well, that's what you do. Conventional never made wasn't what I wanted. It never really made sense to me. I didn't want to work for other people that told me what to do. I didn't. I never had a resume in my life, um, ever. I've never had a resume. Uh, I don't think I've really been on many job interviews, to be honest with you. Um, look what conventional gets a lot of people. I think sixty six percent of Americans are unhappy. Um, we know what the divorce rate is. We know what the obesity rate is. You know, there's crazy statistics about savings and how many people don't, how many Americans over 30 don't even have a thousand dollars in savings. And, um, so conventional, if you look at the majority of what people are eating, their, how they're living their lives, um, if that's considered conventional, that's looking back now, I'm glad I wasn't conventional. I wanted, I was attracted to things that I was attracted to, not that people told me to do or I was supposed to do. Go out, go on a hundred interviews, work, you know, work your way up the ladder, you know, at 30, 40. The average American gains two pounds between 35 to 70. That wasn't what I wanted. I didn't want that kind of conventional. I wanted, you know, to have a little bit of time. And I didn't, my dream wasn't like I wanted to be a bazillionaire. It was like, I want to have a time every day for myself. I want to be able to take two weeks of vacation. I wanted a little fruit garden. I could grow my own fruit. And that was it. And once I got that, I was like, all right, well, now I want a little bit more. <laughs> and I, I just, but it grew from that. But the fundamentals of what I wanted, which is my own time, adventure, experiences, running races, being outside, you know, exploring, jumping in cold lakes, um, being, spending time with my friend, friends and family, those fundamentals have never changed. And that to me is not unconventional. That's what it should be. But I'm interested to know about the community. So Build Your Life Resume is uh, is a program that you started. How long ago was that? I guess like four or five years ago. Wow. So Build Your Life Resume. Please explain it. I could explain it, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me hear you explain it and then I'll. I'll- I'll, you know, dot the I's. All right. So Build Your Life Resume is a, a program that you started where if you invest in the experiences that you have and push your body, push your mind, push your soul further than you thought you could, then the resume comes automatically, you know, like the, the job, the money, whatever. If you're, if you are investing in the right buckets and the buckets are business, wellness, and family, uh, family mindset, mindset. Um, Yeah. I think 
people really emphasize their traditional resume. And I believe in traditional resumes to a sense, but I really believe it's more important to build that life resume. And I think the more you experience, the more you have to offer. The more experiences you have, the more interesting you are. I think you could land your dream job. You know, if I went to a job interview and I walked in, in the first 30 seconds of the job interview, I'm there to sell widgets, okay? And I said, oh my gosh, I'm so happy to be here. I just ran this race a month ago called The Last Man Standing. And finally, after 30 days, I feel better. And they say, well, what's the race? And I tell them, how am I not getting hired? Who, you know, like, you don't think I'm going to be the, a guy that's going to sell a lot of widgets? I can run, I'll stay out there on, an, on a course in the rain and the sun for 20 hours, 80 miles with, you know, no toenails and all this stuff. I, that's somebody that they probably want on their sales team. Now, I'm not saying you have to go run an ultra marathon. But I could substitute that with anything. Oh, I just got off a fishing trip. I took my kids camping. Whatever it is, I went and took care of my parents that are elderly. I'm so glad to have time in this interview. In the first 30 seconds, before they ask question one, I can weave in an story and experience and control the meeting. So I could get a promotion. I'm going to be more interested, more interesting in the lunchroom, in, in the conversation at lunch at my office. Maybe that will lead to a promotion. And even if it doesn't, it's going to touch my soul. It's going to make me feel like I'm living a life on my terms. And, you know, it's the immediate reaction to most listeners are, well, that's easy for you. You have money, you know, and that's true. That has made it easier for me as I've gotten older. But I've been doing it since I've been sleeping on 18 couches when I had no money and I was 19. I've always invested in personal development, in things I wanted to do, in a trip a year. I always found a way somehow to build up this personal momentum. Um, and I've also split screen have built amazing relationships because of it and unique relationships that have helped me in business to this day. I couldn't imagine, but even from this group, so from your example and the build your life resume, which, which I love and, and have, has changed my life in so many ways. Even the fact that my kids make their bed every day, because one month, the first month I made my bed every day. And now we all do, <laughs> you know, like every single one of those habits that I've done every month has stuck and helped kind of chip away and make it better. And what I think is interesting about the community is your community, I joined a year ago, it's already tripled in size in that. And it's a very respectful community of go-getters, people that genuinely care for each other and reach out to each other. And, and as you grow, and now you have BYLR Radio, and you have all of these proliferations off of this brand, what I think is so um, ingratiating about you is that you are very accessible. Like you answer your own DMs, you're, you answer questions. You, you are omnipresent in a lot of ways that you are, go on lives a lot and you, you offer the community a lot. How do you scale that? I don't know if you can, and I don't know if I want to or need to, but I feel like I don't want to, no disrespect to anyone that does this at all, but there's a lot of business models of videos and impersonal teaching and lessons and this kind and coaching that's done through videos because you can scale that. And that's amazing. But I know almost everybody in the community by name and there are thousands of people or at least at some point I've interacted. Um, and I just, for me, I've built my entire life, my entire career, having people root for me and helping people. And my, I told my son, he asked me what my superpower was the other day and I said people. But I, that's what, what I like. question for your son to ask. He had a magic eight ball 
and he was dangling it and he was asking it if it has, if it says, do I have superpowers? He was asking the eight ball if he had superpowers. And I'm like, Charlie, you, you have amazing superpowers and they're going to, they're going to appear as you get older. You're going to keep discovering all your superpowers. And he asked me what mine was. What I loved about him asking the magic eight ball is he want, it showed me that he wants to be extraordinary. He was asking the eight ball if he has superpowers. And I think every, and here's a six year old that wants to know, like, do I have powers? You know, what are my powers? And um, we all want to be on some level have dreamed of being extraordinary. And what BYLR does, it really just teaches people to live a life with no regrets. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to make mistakes or have vices or, you know, do things that maybe, you know, you shouldn't have. But at the end of the day, when you're 90 and you look back, you took the trip you wanted to take, you ran the race you wanted to do, you did, you tried the CrossFit class you wanted to try, and you know, you didn't just sit in an office. And that's really, that's contagious. People, I think, want that, or at least I'm finding that they do. So that's one part of the program. And then there's the mindset, the business part, the wellness. Um, and those are all things that, you know, I don't think at 30 I could talk about, you know, but at 52, I've experienced a lot of different things. So I can share what's worked and what hasn't with people that are younger or older that want to benefit from the, from those experiences. I didn't read about it, Allison. I ran the races. I bootstrapped the businesses. I slept on the couches. Um, you know, I pushed myself. I've had failures. I've had businesses that haven't worked. I've had to make, make tough calls. I've had to make payroll. You know, I've been through that. So I feel comfortable talking about those things. And, you know, I don't think you, I, I don't think you can co have a coaching program without that. I couldn't have done this at 30. I'm curious as to the osmosification of your kids living with two entrepreneurs. There's something that you say that generally I, I could not wait. This is like the whole interview is predicated on this one question I have for you because there's one thing that you say about your kids that has me frustrated and irritated. And I wish I could figure this out. And you say, I'm never too tired for my kids. And I'm getting emotional because you saying that makes me even more tired. <laughs> you know, when I want to spend so much time with them, but I also am building this legacy that if I don't do it now at 45, where I am, how can you bridge both. Well, I brainwashed myself. I've said it so many times now that I have to live up to it. So there's plenty of times where I am tired, but because I've said so many times, I've spoken into reality. I've said, I don't, I'm never too tired for my kids. It's a mantra that I live by that even if I'm on the couch and they want to have a baseball couch, I'm committed to it. I've put it out in the world in such a big way so often that I bought into it. So the reality probably is I'm exhausted. I don't want to do it. But the reality I've created is it doesn't matter. I'm going to do it. Um, listen, your kids are only going to be five and six for a year. Then they'll be seven and eight, nine and 10, 18, 19, 30, 31. I don't want to blow that five-year-old time period. So if, if, if I'm too tired, and of course, there's going to be days where I just can't, you just can't do it. But if I'm too tired for all that, then I have to, I have to adjust my life model. Somehow something has to, has to give, mm. or I have to say, guys, 
Tuesday, Wednesday, Fridays are our days. Saturday, Monday, whatever are daddy's days to rest. But I would shift that. But look, it's important to me. I mean, I worked really hard to have kids. I have four of them. I worked hard to bring them into the world. I think it's the gift of being, of having kids late. I had kids at 40, so I'd already had a business and had success. Again, I don't want to regret. That's the one, that is the one bucket I don't want to blow. Mm. And I, I've kicked myself, you know, for my old, our oldest child is now 11, three to five, you know, working hard, giving speeches, running around and had spent a tremendous amount of time with him. But there are things that I wish I would have done differently. And now, you know, um, and I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad about that. You know, I'm in a different position. That's my own self-reflection. Not that you're designed to make me feel bad. There's only three kinds of regrets that you can have. One of the kinds of regrets is something that you can fix. So let's say I have a bad relationship with my father. I'm making it up. I could fix that. I could get on the call and fix my dad. Um, I had, that's, so that's one kind. It's fixable. The other kind of regret is a regret that you could have where you, you can't change it. Like I broke up with my high school girlfriend. Now we're both married and I wish, oh, I wish I did, but you can't change that. Right. And then the third kind of regrets are regrets that you can prevent. You can get in front of them. For example, I always wanted to run this race called Badwater. Well, if I don't do it, I'll probably regret it in 20 years. I could have done it when I was 50. Why didn't I do it when I was 50? Now I'm too old. Darn it. I could have done it. You know, so I could get, I could prevent that by signing up this year. One of, so in that category of regrets that I want to prevent are things with my kids. So I do not want to look back and be like, I cannot believe I didn't teach my daughter how to ride a bike. Mm. I cannot believe that my son never played baseball. I cannot believe that I didn't pull my kids out of school, you know, and take them here for lunch or, or, or whatever. So when, if you just project out five years and say, where does Allison, where does anyone listening want to be in five years? Where do you want to be with your family? You know, go back. I'm 52. So let me go to 57. And now my kids are 11, 16, and nine. 16, 11, 11, and nine. What do I want to accomplish in that five-year window? You have to start executing that stuff now. Otherwise, it's going to be like, I blew it, you know? God, he's 16 and I blew it. So that's how I look at it. You know, I think life does, requires a little bit of planning, at least as you get older, and preparation and thought about where am I going? Because like if I'm in a sailboat and I'm sailing to Europe and the rudder's off just an inch, I'm going to end up in like Australia. I don't know. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not good at geography, but I'm not, I'm going to be like way off course just because over time, that little bit of being off course will take you in a whole different direction. So it's really important to take a little inventory. So if, if that got you upset or if that hit a ner struck a nerve, then it's a very simple thing. Like, what do I have to change mm. to make sure that I don't have that regret? Yeah. And, and maybe your mantra isn't, I never get tired. Maybe it's like, I never get tired on Wednesdays. Right. <laughs> That's a good way. And I think part of it is like, it's, it's bringing it into my lexicon enough that I make a change, you know? So I appreciate that in you. I knew it was something that would hit a nerve. And what I think was even more interesting is the brainwashing part. Like you live off of these mantras, like, I never get tired. I'm never too tired for my kids. You know or, how many times I've said that? Yeah, but like- Thousands. There's thousands. so many though, like uh, Remember Tomorrow. And there's one that I'm I'm particularly thrown back by. I've, I've Oh, Easy Day. 
Easy day. Easy day. You know, and so this is these are the mantras you and and some like Mark Brown and Chad Wright tell each other when you're running these ultra marathon races. Tell me more about the brainwashing, the mind yeah. tricks that when you I use. was training for the last man standing, I trained with my friend Mark Brown. We ran every single day from for let's see, from March to September. So April, May, June, July, August. So I don't know. Six, just call it six months. So 180 days, 200 days, almost every day. And um, every time we ran, which some days were 10 hours, eight hours, two hours, we would say every 10 minutes all day. <laughs> all day. It's all we would say. That's the only thing we would say on the race. I'd be like, Mark, I could do this all day. And then he'd be like, all day. And then we'd wait five minutes. I'd look at him, he'd be like, all day. <laughs> I'd be like, all day, man, all day. And we probably said it 2,000 times until I convinced myself that I can run all day. Now, that might be, you might say that's ridiculous or whatever, but um, I've done that in business. I've done it over and over and over again where I convince myself. I had a record deal years before I had a record deal in my head. When everybody else is like, I had a book deal, 11 publishers said no to me. But I already knew I had a book deal. I just didn't find the publisher yet. Because I told them, I just, that's the way I operate. And um, it works, man. It works. So um, if you can tell yourself, that this isn't the concept like I created. I yeah, mean, but it's what you employ though. Oh yeah, the proof is, I mean, I've, I've proved it to myself. I'm a believer. Yeah. Well, it's much better than saying, I can't do this all day. Right, right. I can't, and saying, you know, or, you know, I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to find this guy. I'm not an entrepreneur. Well, if you tell yourself that and you're, you know, your brain controls everything. If I tell myself to move my, to, to wiggle my hands, my hands wiggle. If I tell myself to blink, I blink. So, you know, my body responds to my brain. There's been numerous times where I felt the cold coming on and I have visualized myself swallowing a sponge and the sponge wiping every cell in my body. And then I breathe it out and I'm like, I'm breathing all the bad shit out of me. Like I visual, I do that stuff. I believe in it. I utilize it. I do it. And, and it works for me. I think the benefit of the community though, that one of the ways, and this may, might just be, I don't know if it's like the way you talk or even just having a rap background where the re repeating words, you repeat things over and over again. And that is kind of what starts to train your brain too. But even the simplicity, like you employ these tactics, whether they're for yourself or in general, where you simplify things to one, two, three words and repeat them over and over again. It's not complex. Everything you do is very simple. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it's very simple. Yeah, because I'm not smart enough to make it complicated. <laughs> but I mean, I, I say to my kids all the time, you know, like we don't give up. If you asked any of my kids and you said, you know, you're an Itzler, what does that mean? They'll be like, we don't give up. The, you know, I just try to let them know at an early age just to start to get them saying, you know, really positive, encouraging things. I, I got, uh, as I was telling my friends that I was going to be interviewing you, almost all of them had questions about parenting for you. And you and your wife, Sarah, have very public documentary style Instagram stories, you know, for your family. But how do you insulate your kids from like the social media? Like, what are the lessons that you try and instill on them? Yeah. Well, in this crazy world mm -hmm. of technology. We are definitely a work in progress as parents and we do not have it all figured out. And we search Instagram and for advice from other 
couples and experts and, and try to throw things at the ceiling and see what sticks. Um, we've made a decision to include our family on social media when we post stories that we think will benefit people mm-hmm. um, or are funny or entertaining or uplifting, um, but not to, they're not props. They're our kids mm-hmm. and they're part of our life. So when we share our life, we share our life. Um, and they're also a huge part of our, our lives. I work at a home. Um, we're homeschooling our kids right now. We travel with our kids. Um, I spend a ton of time with our children, as does Sarah. We put them to bed. We get them ready for school. Uh, so there's no way around it. They're in everything we do. They're in the car with us. We take RV trips. I don't go away for more than a certain amount of days without them. So we've made that decision. Um, and I think that, again, I think what's interesting is when Sarah and I post something about our family, it is always the high, has the highest engagement. It has mm-hmm. the most comments, likes, shares of anything that we do individually. Americans are thirsty for home life. If we can give a little insight to things that work or are fun, why not, why not do that? So that's sort of the decision that we've made. And that includes filming stuff at family dinners, teaching our kids how to ride a bike or swim or trips, um, and just sharing it because it's it's very imperfect. Our kids spill, they make mistakes, they curse, they get in trouble, <laughs> they you know they um, try and fail, they try and succeed. Uh, they have glitches, just like other kids have glitches. It's very imperfect. Our my, one of our children refused to get out of the school because of anxiety at carpool line after being in school for five years, you know. And other parents experience that. So if mm-hmm. we can share that, so relatable, yeah, and just. And help or let people know, like, you're not alone, you know? Sarah doesn't wear makeup on social media. It's just like, we try to keep it as real as as we can. As we do it all ourselves. Um, so that's that's how we've kind of approached it. So tell me about BYLR Radio. Why radio? Why this medium? No one's done it. I think that you're going to see a shift in... I've always been able to... I think my superpower in business has been early to trends. I was early with coconut water, early with private aviation, early with sports music, a lot of these things that we've done. Um, and I think that you're going to see a shift in people having their own 24 hour streams. The podcast space is so crowded. So I wanted to give people an outlet that was more destination driven, decluttered, and build a community around music, inspiration, podcast interviews like yourself and your show, Allison. Thank you, by the way. Thank you. Um, for being part of it. And um, and be able to control it. And this, when I say control it, I mean put out stuff that we're proud of, that we can share, and then and grow a community organically, you know, and that's what we're trying to do. I love it. I think it's so like the way that you guys curated it. Is so interesting. And I thought when I was first approached about it, I thought it would be mainly like sports, you know, like high energy kind of stuff, but it's really real. Like there's a show about grief and grieving, you know, and motherhood and, and so many different aspects of life and fatherhood that really run the spectrum. And I think it's a really great place to be. I'm proud to be part of it. Well, we love having <laughs> you. And you know, what's great about it too is, I mean, you have this button you can click and listen to the music and the radio live. You can also bypass that and go right to your favorite podcast and listen to any episode over and over on demand. Um, so 
and we're going to keep it, keep expanding it and building on it. But I'm, I am like loving it. I think what's crazy too is that we are in a time of COVID and I think all of us really stumbled in the beginning for, okay, I got to be productive. I got to do all this stuff. And, you know, I, I remember you being on stories saying that I haven't done any of that. And all of a sudden, you launch two businesses, you're writing two books, launch a radio station. I, <laughs> I went berserk. In 60 days, I launched yeah. three businesses and a radio station. I went nuts. But um, what's your perspective that you've gotten through this COVID? What do you think? What do you think you've learned from it? You know, obviously, the family dynamic has been amazing. It's made me rethink how I want my kids to be, our kids to be educated. It's made me rethink how I want to spend my time. It's made me take inventory on like who's the, who are the most people in my, important people in my lives and how am I addressing them. And, um, and it's made me rethink what I want to do professionally. Um, I don't know how old you are, Allison. I'm 45. Not, you're 45. So 45 and between the ages of 40 and 50, 40 to 50 were like the same years for me. My young 40s, I felt like I was in my 30s. Then I was like, you know, but it, the 40, my 40s were very similar. But as soon as I had 50, and I, really 51, and I was like, man, 80, I'm 29 years away from 80. And, you know, 10 or 15 years away from like being like almost 70, that flipped me out. Like 52 to 70, 18 years, 18 years, this body is going to be a 70-year-old body. And um, now you got emotional. Don't make me emotional on this. It made me realize like I have so much that I want to do in 18 year, in these 18 years before I hit 70. 70 is the new 50, but – and, you know, I don't want to age out of that. Like I, I don't I, – there's only a certain window of being really relevant – um, not that that's super important to me, but let me, let me give you an example. I was invited on a trip to go to Poland with Lewis Howes and, um, Aubrey Marcus, and Mike Posner, all these guys, <laughs> right? Amazing group of big guys, names, yeah. big name guys. But I was the oldest guy there by a decade. How many more years am I going to get those kind of invitations where the 35 year old guy is going to want to hang out and invite the 52 year old guy? Probably not like a lot. So I give a lot of thought to that, my relationship with time. And now is a time where I know a lot of people, I have a lot of energy, and I was like, I don't want to wait because, again, I don't want to regret blowing these opportunities. So I went nuts. It's almost like the last two years I've almost lived at a manic pace. And I'm not – I don't mean – feel the drive? Do you feel the drive of just go, 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 do it? Not in a – um, in a way that's like detrimental to my health or anything no, like, like that. but an urgency to say oh, yes. 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 Insane. I, I live with a lot of urgency. That's why I was able to launch these businesses. They weren't perfect. They weren't necessarily even a hundred percent ready. BYLR ra- radio is not a hundred percent ready, but I don't want to wait for someone else to do it. I'd rather launch it at 80% perfect, you know, and build it up as I go then let two other people launch it. And then I'm, I'm in second, you know, I'm like playing from behind. I don't like playing from behind. I don't like playing from behind. I like to lead from the front. So what do you know that you wish other people could know? You know, not to sound obnoxious, but I think I have um, a really good life system. I think I've really cracked the code on milking life, mixing it with adventure, 
business, family experiences, um, ups and downs in a way that um, health, knock on wood, I really invested a lot in trying to crack that code for me. And I think that's something I'm really proud of, you know, like people come over to my house in Connecticut and we go on the cold plunge and we swim in the lake. We jump off cliffs. We talk, we go in saunas. I play with my, and they're like, this is an insane day. And I'm like, this is every day. It's every day. And I really think people you designed can, it that way. It's by design. Yeah. And I think people can, you know, if I were to ask you or anybody else, like, what does a perfect day even look like? What do you like to do? I know I like to do Wim Hof breathing. I like to take a steam. I like to swim. I like exercise. I need a certain amount of family time and I need a certain amount of business time. Now, I'm able to then reverse engineer those 24 hours to fit those things in. I don't think it's difficult. It just requires planning, engineering, and, and you know, thinking about it. My day starts the night before. People like pray swear about morning routines and they're important, but I'm a much bigger believer in evening routines and mapping out your day the night before. I'm following a script today. Today, we have an hour and, and, and that's, I'm here. I'm fully committed. I'm not looking at a phone. I'm looking at you. But when this hour is over, we're going to hug and it was a great hour. And then I'm going to go do my next thing, which is, which is swimming. And I'm going to go swim. And then I'm, I'm flying to see my parents. And then I'm going to come home and I have soccer practice and like, but it's all mapped out. I'm not winging it. So like I said, even earlier when we started talking, it takes thought of like, what do you want? There's days where that gets stripped from me because there's up more obligations. The obligations outweigh the things that I love mm. to do. But in the total 365 days of the year, the majority of those days fit a script that I've written. Doesn't mean it's perfect. Doesn't mean it doesn't have I don't feel overwhelmed. Doesn't mean I'm not frustrated at work. Doesn't mean I don't want more followers. Doesn't mean that, you know, all that stuff. But the day I'm still accomplishing those things, those, that time to play with my kids, you know, in, in that time, that balance in the course of a day is being, that box is being checked. I don't know if this is true always, but I've heard you say often that you don't have business plans, but you plan. You plan your days, you know, like you, you, um, you really compartmentalize small wins into each day. For sure. Yeah. I don't have a calculator, but someone can do the math. Think about how many meetings and you think about how many things are scheduled Monday through Friday on weekdays. It's a lot. It's a lot. You have a lunch meeting, you have a call, you have a Skype session, a Zoom, you got to meet this person, you got to do this. And then think about how much stuff is scheduled on the weekends. You have like three things planned. Right. Now, why is it that your free time is barely planned? I guess because it's maybe because it's called free, but your work week is so scheduled. So think about all the energy that goes into scheduling that week. And all I've done is shifted a lot of that energy. I still have that energy, but I've committed that, if not more, into my personal time and life. And I think that's been a difference maker. I think it's so, I think because it's so consumable, the way that you've set it up and even the big ass calendar club that you've launched, I think that's what makes it so easy to adapt for your community to kind of invite that in their life. So that's kind of your gift of all of this work and this, you know, engineering and, and reverse engineering of your life. How can people find you, Jesse? Allison, they can find me on Instagram <laughs> at my name, at Jesse Itzler. 
If this has not been like an hour long advertisement for <laughs> for your Instagram account. Well, listen, I appreciate the conversation <laughs> and the opportunity to chat. Well, thank you, Jesse. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Allison. <laughs> Man, as I listened back to this conversation with Jesse, I was really, really, really blown away. As always, Jesse is a storyteller, and I would bet you have at least 12 takeaways that you can immediately apply in your own life. I've linked his info in the show notes. As for me, I hope you sign up for my blog at allisonhair.com and connect with me anywhere and everywhere. And tell me what your takeaways are and what do you'd like to hear in the future. And of course, I hope you share the show. So think of the people, just take a minute to think of two or three people that this could really land for and share it with them. Please subscribe to my podcast, uh, leave a review, all the other good stuff. But my info, everything is linked in the show notes. And as always, thank you for listening and I will see you next week.